I want to start this morning talking about invitations. Invitation. You ever get one of those? I hope so. Kind of awkward if you haven't. You're like, why do people just know about parties? I just never know about parties. Uh, I remember getting so excited as a kid when I get invited to a, a birthday party or, or somebody's house to sleep over. Because it's like, cool. You thought about me. You wanted me to be there. I've always wanted to do one of those things like you see, uh, kind of like what happened on the movie Dumb and Dumber, but not exactly. But remember, they, they wore those ridiculous suits. But they showed up at a party they had no business at. I've always wanted to like, see a really fancy party and just be like, you know what? I'm going. And just show up and pretend like I'm, I don't know, super rich and important. And who are you? Oh, you don't know? You know, like eating hors d'oeuvres. I don't know. I, I've gotten some weird invitations. I've gotten some good invitations. There's good and there's bad. Remind me to tell you sometime, I just don't have the time this morning, to tell you about the time that I accidentally, uh, I, I was invited to go on a walk with a guy that I was trying to help with some stuff, okay? And I accidentally got kidnapped as a grown man. This is a true story. And that's just a cliffhanger because it was like 15 or 20 minutes into my walk with this guy, and we ended up in his car when I realized he had no intention of letting me go back home ever again in my life. That's, a, that's an interesting day for me. I um, thought that would be more of a laugh. More of you guys are kind of like, wow, that is creepy. And it was. It was. I'll give you his name. You can Google him, and you don't want to know him. Um, but uh, not right now. This is going to go on a podcast. Um, but anyway, you know, we get invitations to do things, and sometimes they end out like great. Sometimes they end up like totally unexpected. And this morning, as we jump into our third week of the That's Gonna Leave a Mark series, uh, we've been talking about this concept of what happens in our life when we encounter Jesus and when we decide to do the Jesus life, be Christians and live that way. Does it change us? Does it leave a mark on our lives? I think it does. And we're studying through the book of Mark. We're actually going to get through about the first third of it through this series as we go. And we'll, we'll step into Mark several times throughout 2018. But we've been seeing this thing. And as we get to the section that we left off on last week, we'll find that Jesus begins giving this invitation. An invitation, come and join me in something. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it, look at it. Uh, we have free Bibles that we give away if you don't own a good, readable version of the Bible. Don't leave here without one. They're free. There were some on a chair as you exit this room. There's also some kind of over near the coffee area uh, in the lobby. Make sure you grab a Bible. Everyone needs a good, readable translation of the Bible that they can have for their very own. Uh, but if you don't have one with you today, feel free to look it up on your phone or, or just follow on the screen behind me. We're going to be in Mark chapter 1 still. Uh, we're going to move on to a couple of little sections in Mark a little later, but we're going to continue in Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 14, as we see this invitation that Jesus gives. Um, let me kind of catch you up because I've mentioned before that Mark moves quickly through his book. He's often called the gospel of action. And so you'll move from one setting to a completely different setting, and you're kind of, it's like one of those weird dreams where your uncle was there, but he rode a unicycle, and you're like, I don't think my uncle even owns a unicycle. That's kind of how the book of Mark reads sometimes. You go, boom, you're here, boom, you're there, no transition. So we've spent the last two weeks with this other guy, not, not mostly Jesus, but who? Do you remember his name? John the Baptist. Yes, John the Baptist has been kind of setting the path for Jesus. That was G John's role. He was kind of preparing the way for the Messiah. Suddenly, when we jump into verse 14, we'll find that John is just in prison. We can pick up more of John's story later in some other uh, Gospels. These are the biographies of Jesus' life. And we find out that basically what happened was John uh, had been speaking out against the king, some of his personal romantic habits, we'll say that. And, uh, and John was like, you know, God's not cool with that. And the, and the king was just like, yeah, I'm not cool with you. It was one of those king situations where, you know, throw you in jail, off with your head. That's kind of literally how John's situation ends up. It stinks because John had such an important role. And we kind of just kind of don't hear much more from him after that. Here's the thing I want to say about John. Don't sweat John. John is pumped because John did exactly what he came to do, to prepare the way for the Messiah, and he did that. 
And so we pick up in verse 14, and we'll see how that began. So Mark chapter 1, verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee. See how quickly that moved? Wait, John went to prison? Why? So that Jesus was proclaiming the good news of God, and this is how his ministry began. Verse 15. Jesus starts out like this. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe the good news. Verse 16. So as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew. They were casting their nets into a lake, for they were fishermen. So he says to them, hey, come follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, they left their nets and they followed him. And then he'd gone a little further. He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat. And they were preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in a boat with hired men and followed him. So that's kind of Jesus' beginning to his public ministry to the world he starts by traveling north. He was, getting, uh, he, he was just recently baptized, we looked at that last week, down in an area called Judea, which is the southern region of where he was, at the Jordan River, which is a major river there, and uh, still is. And then he travels north to Galilee. It's, it's a long way, but he makes this trek up to Galilee. He goes to a particular village in Galilee. He goes by the lakeside, and he sees some guys fishing, and he calls out to them. A really cool, um, really cool thing to point out here. Uh, you, you meet Simon, who he's also called Peter in the Bible, and Andrew, their brothers. And you've got James and John, so these first four disciples. Now, at this reading of the passage, you look at that and think, these are just random guys. Like, that's amazing. Jesus must have been a really charismatic inviter for people to be like, okay, I quit fishing. Uh, but as you read into their stories a little bit more, you find out that uh, a couple of these guys had actually been disciples or followers of John the Baptist. They had been down, uh, Andrew in specifically, was a follower of John the Baptist, and he had seen John preach. And a lot of people speculate that maybe Andrew had been there the day when Jesus got baptized. And so after John's ministry kind of ends, well, what do they do? Well, they go back and they work for their dads as fishermen again. So it actually makes a lot of sense that Jesus would go to find these particular guys. What was John the Baptist's message? Well, the Messiah is coming. And he's going to be greater than I was, and you're going to need to follow him. Who are going to be the most likely people to want to follow Jesus? Some of John's disciples. And so these first four men are the first four people that Jesus calls to follow him. How cool must it have been for Jesus to have shown up at their workplace. Because they've been listening to John for presumably a while, right? And man, there's this guy, Jesus coming, and they're fishing, and guys, he's here. He's here. How cool must that have been? And so they accepted his invitation. Um, invitations are an interesting thing, uh, because here's kind of a truth about invitations. Every time you accept an invitation, by accepting the invitation, you're also agreeing to give up something else. You ever thought about it like that? Like by agreeing to do one thing, you're like negating the possibility of doing something else. Like if you, if you got offered a new job, you sit in an interview, it goes well, you get invited, you get the invitation to take that new job, well, you're probably going to need to uh, quit your old job or maybe cancel other interviews that you have later. Um, if you accept the invitation to be part of one thing, you're also deciding to give up something else. That's just the nature of an invitation. A bigger example um, is something we see all the time in our culture. We call it a proposal, a wedding proposal, a marriage proposal. Isn't a proposal an invitation? So like when you accept an invitation to marry someone and you agree to that, and really it's kind of a two-way invitation because you're saying, will you marry me? The person says yes, but they're also saying, yeah, will you marry me too? And it's just an invitation. It's a two-way invitation. Last week, I, I spent some time talking about uh, my wife and I, and, and we've been married uh, almost 15 years, and we agreed 
to accept each other's invitation to be married to one another. But in doing that, we realized we actually were giving up some other things. I mean, the most obvious thing that you give up when you accept the invitation to be married to someone, I gave up uh, my freedom to see other women, right? That's just kind of part of the deal. Some dudes don't quite figure that out, ever. Like, but, you know, that's just part of the deal. I agree to give up my freedom to see other women because I want to be solely invested in the relationship I have with you. Um, I also gave up the freedom to do whatever I want with my time or with, with my money because it's not just my time, my money. It's, it's our time. It's our money. That's how healthy marriage functions. It was another freedom that I gave up. I totally I was unaware that this was even a thing. Uh, but apparently when I got married, I gave up the freedom to leave the light on in the bathroom whenever I want to. Like, that's a... That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Like, the light's on. Everything else needs to stop until somebody goes, who left the light on? Uh, I didn't know that, but now I've, I've learned. Apparently, that's something that I gave up. We, we take these things, but here's the deal. We don't just give. Accepting an invitation isn't just about what you give up, is it? I mean, you know, the invitations are good. So you, you give up these things so you can gain some things. So what have I gained in my marriage? Well, I gained uh, the marriage relationship, like well, all that goes with it. I gained, uh, now we are parenting together. We're both parents. I gained that opportunity. We share the things that I gave up my freedoms on, my time, my money. We share those things now. And that's actually something that I gained. That can be a really healthy and good thing. We share uh, vacation time. We share these things. Um, And bigger than that, like I've become part of my wife's extended family. She's become part of mine and we've got a larger family. And so there's like, there's give and there's take, but you can't accept an invitation without being willing to give up something else that was going to have taken its place. And so Jesus goes to these fishermen and he gives them an invitation. And you know, this scene that played out that we just read, it's essentially the same exact scene that plays out for every single person who chooses to follow Jesus. It's the way that it works. Because there you are doing your thing. You're in your, your workplace, your career, your hobby, your house, your moment with your friend. And at some point, you hear that there's this guy, Jesus, who wants to invite you onto a mission with him. And you've got a choice to make. That invitation happens. And Jesus essentially says to each one of us, come and follow me. I want to do something with your life. It's an invitation. But like any invitation, there's a trade-off. And when we accept to do one thing, we are, by design, giving up our opportunity to possibly do some other things. What did this look like for these first disciples? And I think it's going to mean a lot to us today. I'm going to tell you this. It's going to leave a mark. That's right. Luke chapter 14, verse 33. This is a, we're stepping outside of Mark for a second. We're going to be in Luke. But this is, this is one of the conversations he has with his disciples. It'll be on the screen behind me. Jesus says to one of his disciples, you know, you can't be my disciple without giving up everything you own. What's the trade-off? For this guy, it seems like it's everything you own. It's a big deal. Jesus uses this word disciple here, uh, and a disciple, the the word disciple, it means a follower or a learner, and uh, someone who follows someone else, someone who learns a way of life from them. Jesus says, listen, if you want to be my disciple, you got to give up everything. I think a more accurate understanding of this, I mean, and I don't think we're just kind of being soft here to say this. When Jesus says this this type of thing to someone, he's saying, not necessarily that you have to give up everything, but you got to be willing to give up everything. Because here's the point. Jesus has to become number one. He's got to become your king. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He's your guide. And if anything gets in the way of that, we call that at our church being a God chaser. If anything gets in the way of that, you say, man, that thing has got to go. It's distracting me from the thing that Jesus has called me to. So following Jesus means that he becomes this number one for us. We see it in the lives of all of the first disciples of Jesus. Um, Peter, Andrew, James, John, and you can keep on reading about the rest of them. We're going to look again in Luke, uh, this time in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Jesus calls out to them. This is kind of a retelling of the same story we just read in Mark. Luke says, So they pulled their boats on the shore, 
And they left, read it, what is it? Everything to follow him. These guys had careers. They had boats. They had supplies. And, I mean, they, they probably were in a community of fishermen. They were like, okay, you guys carried on because I've got a thing that I've got to do right now. And they left everything behind. This was what they're essentially saying. You know what? As I see Jesus, as I hear his message, as I see what he can do for my life and for the world and the mark he can make, I'd rather do that. Uh, there's another guy Jesus invites to follow him. So we've talked about these fishermen. This time I want to step into a kind of different type of lifestyle because you look at a fisherman, you're like, well, you know, I mean, they could probably do better anyway. I don't know, it's a first world country, they're fishermen. Maybe Jesus is calling them something better. We're going to meet a guy, uh, this is in Mark chapter 2, so we're moving forward in the book of Mark, a guy named Levi. We also know him better by the name Matthew. Levi is not a third world country fisherman. He is a, uh, a well-to-do tax collector, okay? So we're going to see a whole different calling. This is Mark 2, verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and began to, he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, the way this kind of works is uh, the, the government would tax everything. Anybody ever experienced that? Um, and so if you're a fisherman and, you, and your, your main job is to catch fish, even your fish are taxed. And so this is Levi's job, and he's sitting by a little booth, and I'm sure it was the most popular booth in the whole lake. Um, and you had to go by, hey, we caught, I don't know, half a ton of fish, and, and I don't know how it worked out, but if you paid money or if you actually gave fish, I don't know how it worked. And so this is his job, and as Jesus is teaching these people by the lake, he comes to Levi and he says, come follow me. I wonder what he saw in Levi. I wonder what he knew about Levi. I don't know that right now from this passage, but... For whatever reason, Jesus goes to him, and what does Jesus, Levi do? He left everything. Now, with James, John, and Peter, and Andrew, uh, you can look at them, and you can say, you know, they're fishermen. So maybe they're going to take a little bit of stint and go follow Jesus, but they could always come back and fish. I mean, their dads own the business. They could just jump into it. Levi's situation is a little bit different because he's a government employee. You don't have to read much into the Roman uh, government understandings, especially with soldiers and government employees that would work in taxing, that they didn't look favorably upon you walking away from your post. Uh, Levi's probably not getting his job back. When he leaves everything, he is literally starting over. I'd rather do that. And he goes and he follows Jesus. Uh, now, I look at this story, and uh, if, like, I... I, I help a lot of people with just like life decisions and counseling, uh, and I would say, that seems pretty irresponsible. Like, that seems like a bad idea, to leave your job, to leave everything behind, just go do this thing. Jesus told the story once, I think, that will help us understand why this rash, uh, almost irresponsible decision. Jesus tells it. He actually tells, tells like a two-part story. Uh, it's in Matthew chapter 13, 44 through 46. It's actually two stories here, so check it out. It says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought that field. You following the story? Jesus is going to tell another story just like it. He said, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. And once he found one of great value, he went away, he sold everything he had, and he bought it. So both of these guys find a treasure. One guy finds it in a field, another guy finds it in a, I don't know, clam, oyster? It's a pearl. He finds this thing, and both of them are willing to sell everything they have to have that one treasure of great value. And, and what Jesus is saying is that like, look, the kingdom of heaven is like that. There is nothing you could possibly own that is worth more than this treasure that I want to give you. 
And it makes me think about this show. I love watching this show on the History Channel, American Pickers. You seen this show? I've got a picture of the guys here. You know these guys? Uh, they are nuts. I mean, the show's funny. They travel all over the world. They just dig through people's junk and pay them immense amounts of money for it. Uh, and they collect antiques, and they find all kinds of rare items. They love motorcycles and bicycles and cars. The show's great. They find neat stuff. But in every episode, there seems to be a person who, honestly, I think probably has a problem. Uh, they, they call these people collectors. I would call them hoarders. Um, if you have like nine barns full of old gas station signs, you don't have a collection. You have a problem. Like this is not an okay thing. But so anyway, they, they find these hoarders, I mean collectors, and they go to these places and they find stuff. And that's not even the most amazing part of this, this thought that I have. There's a moment that happens in almost every episode. They're digging in some dusty old dirty barn and they're looking for stuff to collect and, and buy off of these collectors. And they'll find, one of them will find like an old, you know, rusty lantern. They'll go, oh, this is a turn-of-the-century lantern. Abraham Lincoln used to use this in his you know, outhouse. And it's like, it's great. And they'll pull this thing, and he'll go, would you take 500 bucks for it? If I'm the collector, I'm like, heck yeah, 500 bucks? I didn't even know I had that. I guess fantastic. You want to give me 500 bucks? But there's this moment where the, the person, like, he hems and hauls, and he's like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, my grandma left that here 100 years ago. I just don't know. I might still have her fingerprints on it. Like, I'm, I, and they'll, you know what? I just can't let that go. As a viewer, every single time, I'm like, what? What do you mean you can't let that go? It, you did not even know you had that. Someone's offering you $500 for it, and you, kiss, you just can't let it go. And it's crazy how attached these people become to their stuff. And we laugh at that. But I look at that story, and I think, isn't that how we are with our spiritual life sometimes? Because... By comparison, I believe God offers us something of immense value. Forgiveness for our sins, the promise of purpose in life, a mission to live on, a family to belong on, and healing, and, and, and all of this amazing thing that Jesus gives us. And he comes through our life, and he's digging through our junk, and he said, look, you know what, let me take that off your hands. And we say, ah, I just can't let that go. I'm, I'm going to hold on to this, and, and there's different things for each one of us. And it might be nice things. It, it might be things, you know, like, uh, like our cars and our house and our careers, and we need these things. Maybe less tangible things like relationships or, or, or our reputation. But we have these things, and we're like, I don't know, I kind of worked hard for this stuff. It's, it's kind of nice to me. And Jesus walks up with something of immensely more valuable, immensely more value than we could ever ascribe to this thing in our life. And we just say, I just can't let it go. Maybe we don't realize what Jesus is inviting us into. Well, for starters, Jesus is inviting us into a clean slate and a fresh start with God. You can't find that in a barn. You can't find that in a department store or on Amazon.com. Like you, can't, you can't get a fresh start spiritually except through Jesus, but he gives us that. Having Jesus as our king and, and help him to guide our choices, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Like That's just like the entry-level gift. He's also invited us to citizenship in heaven. Like for all eternity, you can be in the presence of God. Like you thought your Starbucks gold card was a cool club to be in. We get invited into citizenship in heaven alongside God, praising him with angels for all eternity. And that's a gift that we get. What else do we get? We get 24-7 access to the power of God through prayer and through his Holy Spirit. That's a gift he gives us in exchange for whatever junk we've been collecting in our barn. And then on top of that, we get to make a difference in other people's lives. If you've ever helped someone that was really in need, 
and you just selflessly did it, and you just said, like, I just need to do this because it's what Jesus would want me to do. I mean, I can't tell you how rewarding that is. And on the other end of it, you're like, you know what? It wasn't even for the reward. It was because it was just the right thing to do. And that is the trait. Believe me, we're just getting started on the gifts that Jesus gives in exchange for us turning over what we have to him. And honestly, from where I'm standing, man, to give up the stuff that I've accumulated as a trade-off for that, that's a bargain. That's a deal. I'm also like, you know, God, I feel like you're getting gypped here. You're getting the short and the stick on this deal. The one thing I love about Jesus, uh, there's a lot of things I love about Jesus. One thing that I particularly love about Jesus is that he calls us to a big sacrifice. He's like, I want to change your life, but man, it's going to change. It's going to leave a mark. Like, it's really going to wrestle with the way you do life. But one thing I love about him is he says, I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done myself. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus being God in the flesh means that he gave up everything that was heaven so that he could come and live here on this crummy planet? I love the way the Apostle Paul writes it in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. He says about Jesus, he said, Jesus, who being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient. Look at that word obedient. To me, this is one of the most like earth-shaking words because this is God. What's he becoming? Obedient. To what? Death. Even death on a cross. See, Jesus is calling us to this big exchange to giving up everything. But man, he's like, look, I gave up everything for you. I'm not asking you to do anything that I haven't already done myself. I know how hard this is going to be. And there are scenes in Jesus' life where he shows it. He's like, man, God, is there another way to do this? (laughs) This is hard. Being human is hard. He said, no, so that your will will be fulfilled, I'm going to carry this out to completion. I love how uh, the Apostle Paul finishes this passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. He says, right after what he was saying, he gave up the splendors of heaven, he made himself human. In verse 9, he says, therefore, God exalted him, talking about Jesus. God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus gets exalted and he says, listen, I get to be your king. I get to offer you all these gifts, and I get to be a king who loves you. And by accepting this invitation to follow Jesus, there's plenty to give up. If you've been uh, a a Christian for a while, you might hear a message like this and be like, oh, I wonder if there's anybody in here who hasn't already accepted to follow Jesus. And sometimes I say, man, maybe we need to look in the mirror and say, have I accepted to follow Jesus, or am I just signing up for the free gifts? Am I going to follow him? What am I going to really do with my life that leaves a mark on this world that changes who I am and that shows that my commitment is to God the Father through Jesus no matter what? We get to not only have all these gifts, but this is the coolest thing. We get to be invited on a mission with Jesus. What is this mission? What do we get to do? What is the exchange? Well, in the time we have left, I want to talk about three parts of Jesus' mission. They're going to be pretty quick, but we're going to kind of fast forward now into Mark chapter 3. Okay, so we're kind of Moving along through Mark, because as you read through, we're just getting some more details in the stories we've already touched on. Mark chapter 3, verse 14, and we're going to look at two verses. And in these two verses, I believe we're going to find uh, three parts of our mission with Jesus. Guys, we are a church family. If, if you're here as a guest this morning, I want to let you know, I'm so glad you're here. And I want to invite you to be a part of this mission with us. If you're here and you're just kind of questioning God, seeking God, and you heard this was a church where 
you could kind of let some of those questions marinate. Man, awesome. Come, this is a safe place to do that. Ask all your questions. No question is dumb. Everything is important. And so we can have this conversation together. But specifically, I want us to know as a church, we have a mission. And I think this, this passage gives us kind of three little pieces of that mission. Let's just read the two verses first. Uh, Mark 3, verse 14. said he appointed the twelve that they might be with him and that, they might, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. And y'all just heard me say demons, and everybody's like, wait, that took a twist. I'm not really sure. Let's hang on, because this is huge. This is massive. As I studied this this week, it just, it reminded me of the big call that we're called to. Uh, The first thing is this. um, The very first part of this verse says, being a part of Jesus. Let's look at it. Uh, He pointed the 12, and, and this extends to us as well, that they might be with him. First call, first mission, first goal, first thing we're trying to do, to be with Jesus. Like, that's cool. If you ever like, had a boss or a friend or someone, it's like, every time they call me, they need something. <laughs> I, I just want to hang out. But this is cool. Jesus is like, I'm not calling you just because I need something. I'm calling you because I want to be with you. Like, when I created the world, I created it because I wanted the companionship of mankind. That's why I created mankind in my likeness and in my image. That's why I show my love to them. I just want to be with you. And so that's our first part of our mission, just to be with Jesus. Uh, these first followers of Jesus, they had it good. Uh, they literally got to follow Jesus, like actually like ducks behind a mother duck. I mean, they're like walking from place to place with Jesus and, and sitting around uh, campfires and soup pots together, you know, and just talking, picking his brain about life. And it changed their life. I would, I would like contend that the biggest thing that changed these disciples was not anything else except for the time they spent with Jesus. Because as he taught them and as he spoke to them, as he showed them hands-on how to do things, they realized the power of God that was in him. And so when they step off and do all these amazing things, it's coming directly out of this mentoring that they got from Jesus himself. How do we get to do that? Do we get to go to Palestine and follow him around? Well, Jesus left this earth and he he rose from the dead and he went to prepare a place for us in heaven. and, And he told us, that there are other ways that we can be with him. Uh, one thing he's done is he's left his teaching in the Bible. The same teaching that those guys sit around the campfire on hillsides talking about, those teachings exist in our Bibles, and they've been very well preserved. I'm a super skeptical person. I've been digging and finding, and for years, I continue to find reaffirming evidence to show that the word of God that we call the Bible is reliable. He left his teaching. That's how we can spend time with him. You know the best way that we can spend time with him? He gave us something that says it's even better than his one-on-one time, and it's his Holy Spirit. We talked about that some last week. One of the gifts we receive when we accept him, when we're obedient to him in baptism, and we come to him and say, I want to be a follower of yours, God's spirit comes in, dwells among us. And that's one of the biggest things that changes us because it guides us, it comforts us, it leads us, it teaches us, he, not it. And that's how we spend time with Jesus, through his Holy Spirit. You can spend time uh, with Jesus when you pray and when you sing songs. We did some of that this morning. And this is another cool thing. How do we spend time with Jesus? He's left a lineage of followers that we can spend time with called his church. And all around us, when we are doing this, when two or more are gathered in his name, we are the body of Christ. And we can spend time with Jesus. What's the first part of our mission with Jesus? To be with him. We see that in this verse. I want to keep going. That's the first part. The second part of the mission, we saw a second ago. Let's look at the verse again. It said he appointed the 12. He designated them apostles that they might be with him. And here's the second thing. That he might send them out to preach. Believe me, if I sat right here and said, hey, uh, you guys all need to go preach this week. And if you have this feeling, what? (laughs) I'm no preacher. 
ain't nobody that understands that better than this guy right here. I'm no preacher. Maybe I have the ability to stand in front of a group and put together a speech and read some scripture, but I can't tell you how often, and people who are close to me can, can attest to this, I'm not just fronting. Like, so often I'm like, what in the world has God got me in this position for? You know what preaching is not? Preaching is not a well-put-together, eloquent speech. Preaching is the proclamation of God's truth, and it can be done in so many ways. I read a book once, it's called I'd Rather See a Sermon. And the idea of this is, when people look at your life, and they see the way you're living, and they come to ask you about the way that you live, or you just begin to teach them through the way that you talk, and the things that you say, and the things that you believe, you're preaching. Calling it a preaching is a little weird, because our, our English brains make preaching what I'm doing, and not what I just said. And so I, that's why I love the thing that Jesus does when he first calls the, the, the first couple of apostles. He doesn't actually ask them to preach. This is the way he says it in... Um, Mark 1, 16, it says, Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And this is what he said, come follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So the preaching here is not this like speech thing. It's this concept of going and being with people and interacting with them and sharing life with them. Not many people will sign up for a preaching seminar, but a fishing trip uh, yeah, sign me up for that. That's fun. And even if you're not into fishing, this is a metaphor. What's the goal of a fisherman? To get fish into the boat. God has this world, this, this life, this truth he wants to bring people into. He's like, look, you need to go into the world. You need to bring those people into my boat and show them with your life what it means to live for me. So the mission is to be with Jesus. It is to preach the message or to be fishers of men. And finally, this third thing. Um, this is the way we're going to say it, and then we'll read the passage again. The third part of the mission is to bring healing to hurting people. To bring healing to hurting people. The pastor says he appointed the 12 and designated them as apostles. That they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach. And it says, and to have authority over demons. And there is so much that could be said here. But here's the bottom line. There is a spiritual war waging against all of humanity. There's a spiritual war waging and people because of that are hurting the single most compelling and powerful message that you could carry to someone is that Jesus can bring healing to your hurting. That's what I want you to know. The apostles literally encountered demons. Uh, and I'm going to say this. Like, I don't know how you feel about demons and spirits. And We're going to kind of start from a baseline that there is a God. He's a spiritual being, and he is good. And if you can stretch your faith enough to believe that there's spiritual good, then it's not much of a stretch to start believing in spiritual bad, right? And so I believe in demons. Jesus talks about them a lot. And one of the biggest callings he gives to his disciples is call it casting out demons. And in our culture, we don't call it that, but it's caused by the same stuff. Our mission is to bring healing to hurting by inviting people into safe places where they can experience God's love and to come into relationship with them so that they can know them. And whatever you're going through, there's a God who can fight it down. And you just got to find him. And I've seen firsthand how the power of Jesus can absolutely alter the brokenness of someone's life. In fact, if we took a time right now and just like, hey, anybody want to come talk on the microphone? I know that's dangerous in large groups, so we're not going to do that. Uh, but just come up here and like tell us what God has done to hurt, heal hurting in your life. And I guarantee you we'd be here for a long time hearing story after story after story after story because that is what Jesus does, and that's what he calls us to. The reality of hurt is that bigger hurt often requires bigger faith. To, to go with. And sometimes it takes a group. And that's why we pray in groups a lot of times. And that's why we, we work together to restore lives and lead people to Jesus. No matter where you are on your faith journey, though, you can bring hurt. You can bring healing to hurt, hurt, hurting people. You can do that. You don't have to be some super spiritual guru. 
If you know that God is good, you can walk in with that simple message, and you can start there. And you don't have to worry about the, the peripherals of that because God has got a whole kingdom of workers who are there to carry that message. It's doing the small things like noticing the person at the work that looks like they've had a bad day and just saying, hey, how's it going? Do you need to talk? You see how that can just change someone's day? It's praying for and calling people in your family who you, who you know are struggling with stuff. It's going to your neighbor and just saying, listen, I just want to see if I can help you with this thing. It's about actively looking for a need and then doing what you can to fill that need and shine the light of Jesus into that darkness. And so Jesus, he invited all kinds of people to follow him. And Jesus invites me, and he invites you to the same mission. I want to close by talking about something really cool. Um, Jesus could have chosen anyone as his disciples. He really could have. He could have gone to the world that he lived in, and there were like bright minds, and there were like rich people, and there were people with power. But when I look at the people that Jesus engages with first, it brings me a lot of hope, because he encounters Normal people. Dude's a fisherman. Dude works for the government. Other guy's just got a family. This guy's just dealing with some family issues. Like, it's just normal people. And it tells me that if God can use Peter, Andrew, James, John, and the rest, he can use me, and he can use you. If he can use an uneducated fisherman and an immoral tax collector and people with bad reputations and little influence, if he can use the outcast and the forgotten, Jesus didn't just call good people. He calls all people. And he invites ordinary, messed up people like you and me to, one, follow him, and two, get on mission with him. And so here, here's my, my closing thought. Despite what the world says, don't follow your heart, okay? Don't follow your dreams. Follow Jesus to be with him, to share his love with others, and to bring healing to the hurting. Jesus' invitation is, will you follow me? What do you say? And that's going to leave a mark. And I just want to pray for us this morning. Let's pray. God, you are good. Uh, you've called me. You've called all of us in this room. And it's so easy for us to just kind of be, I don't know, uh, scared, nervous, um, the feeling of being unprepared. Uh, maybe we lose sight of what the real invitation is. I know sometimes we just, as, a, as the church in the world, sometimes we just get stuck on so many other things, whether it's how the building looks or what our programs are like or what our logo is or how many people go to our, our services each week. Like these things are all not even important. Instead, you call us to life change, a change that leaves a mark on us and leaves a mark on this world. So thank you for that. Thank you for the example we see in the Bible of people who do that. And God, as there are people in this room listening to me right now, we're all in different places. And I just pray right now that we can all decide to take next steps with you, even if it's just one step. Everyone from the person who's here from the first time and might be skeptical about all this to the person who's been in your kingdom for decades and is just looking for how they can grow. Lord, I just pray that they can follow you and be on mission with you. God, thank you for our time together. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.